November 6, 2003, police were called to a shots fired call at the Superbike Motorsport shop. A passing customer had heard something, entered the premises to find four dead people gunned down in the shop. The police identified them as Scott Pinder, the owner of the shop, service manager Brian Lucas, the chief mechanic Chris Sherbert and the company's bookkeeper and wife to Scott Pinder, Beverly Guy. Police believed the suspect had entered the rear of the premises with the sole aim of killing people. The police had no suspect, stolen nothing, no trail of evidence and the shooting appeared to be a random act of violence. The bodies led their way the killer took from the rear of the shop through to the garage and out to the parking lot where the fourth body lay. This crime remained unsolved until the arrest of Todd Colhead, a well-known property realtor who openly admitted to the crime while being interrogated for the murders unrelated to the motor motorcycle shop. Colhead, born on 7th March 1971 in Florida, Todd Colhead moved at a very early age to South Carolina with both parents. It didn't take long for the marriage to break down and Cole Hepp's father moving back to Florida. The house was running smoothly until Todd's mother remarried. Todd and his stepfather had a rocky relationship from the get-go. The stepfather struggled with anger issues Todd showed. It disrupted his schoolwork with outbursts of extreme anger, isolating from other children at the school and becoming more violent. It was here he was incarcerated at a child psychiatric hospital for nearly four months. With strict rules, which Colehep struggled with, and therapy sessions, it was during Colehep's court case for the murders in later life where the details of Colehep's childhood anger issues surfaced. Psychiatrists said Colehep had an unhealthy attraction to porn with a misguided understanding of what sex actually was. He was seen killing animals with a BB gun, particularly maiming them and dragging out their demise. Once, Colehep killed the family goldfish by adding bleach to the water sitting and watching the fish die with a wry smile. But because of the antisocial behaviour, the one thing Colehep wanted was to go live with his natural father. And with the blessing of the courts, social services and Colehep's mother, no surprise there, he went to Arizona where his father was now living. But it didn't take long for the boy to run into trouble. He collected weapons, any weapons, and with an unhealthy interest towards guns. His father, a keen shooter, taught his son how to handle a gun, regularly taking him out to the ranges to shoot at targets. His anger resurfaced again when his father started seeing other women, taking him away from Colehep. As the resentment grew, he wanted to rebound to his mother. She was in no rush to have him back. Now living in a state of peace, she knew having her son return, he would come and start tearing the place up again. He was bored with a sense of rejection from both parents parents, Colehead, a now 15-year-old boy, kidnapped a 14-year-old girl using a 2-2 pistol. The girl quietly did as she was told. Colehead returned to his home, bound, gagged, and then repeatedly raped the girl. Afterwards, he walked the girl home, warning her and her sibling that if the cops were caught, he would kill the lot. Of course, the kids did the opposite. Telling their parents, the police called Colehead and arrested him. The mounting evidence, they advised Colehead to plead guilty. And if he did this, they would only charge him and try him for the kidnapping, which carried a prison term of 14 years. The lawyers didn't want the sexual assault charge to be tried in court to further traumatise the family and the wider community. A 16-year-old boy kidnapping and raping a 14-year-old girl just wasn't normal. So if we just dial back for a second, if the lawyers had actually followed the rule of law in the way that they should have done and tried Colehep not only for the kidnapping but for the rape as well, the question that you've got to ask yourself is, would he have been in a position to start a killing spree in later life? Anyway, during the trial, the psychiatrist completed a full evaluation on behalf of the court. They found Colehead with borderline personality disorder with a very high IQ. The judge ruled in the case and when summing up, he said, you're a very bright and academically gifted boy, but your behavior makes you dangerous and you are likely to never be rehabilitated. So if a judge saw the 15 year old Colehead in such a poor light, isn't it any wonder that 
there was no chance for Colehead to be rehabilitated. Didn't there have been something in place to make sure that he was in no position to reoffend on his release? The judge sent him down for 15 years and a permanent record on the sex offenders register, and he served all 15 years. And in prison, he wasn't the model prisoner. Before his 20th birthday, Colehead was repeatedly involved in fighting and disruptive behaviour. After this milestone birthday, there is no other documentation to say he carried on misbehaving. He did, while he was in prison, graduate. Colehead took to study with ease, achieving a bachelor's degree in computer science accredited by the Central Arizona College. In 2001, saw the release of Colehead and moved straight to South Carolina, and he took a job as a graphic designer while doubling down for more study at the University of South Carolina graduating with another degree in business administration. 2006, Colehep lied on his registration forms for realtor's license. Faculty responsible didn't check either that Colehep was a registered sex offender. It was during this time Colehep ran a successful realtor company which employed several sales agents. Colehep invested wisely in property, one near the town of Moore in South Carolina, a sizable estate of 100 acres where Colehep spent the vast sum of money fencing the entire property. Customers related to Colehep. He was warm, charming and understanding. He knew how to sell people's homes while knowing how to get people to buy a home, a rare quality in an estate agent. Although sexual innuendo was thrown into the conversation which people laughed at, some people found it offensive. An employee found Colehep het up, always angry. He would fly off the handle with unpredictable mood swings. One of his financiers said Colehep would watch pornography in his office. He didn't care if people knew about it. His office door would be open with a volume up. Before August 31st, 2016, Charles David Carver and his girlfriend Carla Brown were employed by Colehead on his 100-acre estate to remove some rubber, uh, rubbish and brush. On the 31st of August, they were reported missing. The police, not knowing their whereabouts, focused on their Facebook accounts. There was some traffic happening on their pages, which would show they were still alive, but their location was still a mystery. Although missing, the detailed analysis of their Facebook accounts led authorities to believe someone else was operating their accounts. After some time trying to trace mobile communications, police on the 3rd of November found Miss Brown chained to the inside of a freight container on the Colehep's estate. After some careful plotting of the last known whereabouts of the couple, according to cell phone mass signal stamps, police narrowed Miss Brown's phone down to the Colehep estate. Had interviewed Miss Brown, who, whose candour and strength was admirable, went through her ordeal in detail. How Colehep killed Mr Carver because he had a real smart mouth. He kept the woman alive because he liked her, raping her daily. And on the day of the search, Miss Brown was found another couple, husband and wife, the McCraw Coxie, Coxies were found. Colehet was arrested at his home and in, the, and in the interviewing he appeared to be cool, calm, readily admitting his need to kill, but this was on a proviso. He wanted to speak to his mum and had a photograph which he wanted to give her and transfer some money to an account of her so he could use it for the children's college fund. Police reluctantly agreed to allow Colehep to see his mother where he admitted to a further four murders bringing his tally up to seven. Colehep also admitted to the killings in the superbike shop which was at this point an unsolved murder. Shooting each one in the forehead. This was a damning piece of evidence because the police had left this information out of the public domain. Only the killer who perpetrated the crime would have known this. Through the investigation, police led to, Col to Colehep's Amazon account bizarre reviews for items that he had purchased. There was no hard evidence to suggest Colehep had written these reviews, but the items listed were either purchased or on Colehep's wish list. After pleading guilty and receiving seven life sentences to run concurrent, Colehep admitted to killing closer to three digits, which authorities failed to substantiate these claims. Colehep will never see the light of day again. But 
that spared execution. But as I get older, knowing these assholes are incarcerated until their time is a far better deal. Coldhead was indulged. I'm not questioning if he was a psycho, because he clearly was. There is no doubt. The red flags littered his childhood like an air horn. What made Coldhead's clay case interesting was his level of narcissism. His predilection to violence seemed normal, and yet he went about it in a cowardly way. Psychopaths like to watch their victims squirm and die in a terrifying way. Coldhead chose guns. As cold as this might be, it's still an odd choice of weapon for a serial killer. Coupled with the sexual deviancy, one thing I do struggle with is sex crimes against women and children. Go on your killing spree and get it over with ASAP. But to defile someone either in the present or after they're dead is something on another level. Kolhep, although surprised the police had found the young woman in a freight container, his ease of admittance levels up his narcissism. At interview, he said things to, as to shock the officers conducting the interview, but in reality, he came across as a bit of a douchebag. Despite his cruelness and violence, Kolhep was a bit of a pathetic, damp squib. What makes his case interesting to me is the psychology behind his modus operandi. Poor upbringing, the slide into violence and the use of sexual crimes ticks all the boxes. I think if Kolhep hadn't underestimated modern technology, he would have been left to carry on killing. We would have seen an escalation in the killings along with an evolution of his deviancy. Thank God, I'd say. And Kolhep, go rot in this life and the next. Thank you for listening uh, about Todd Kolhep, the first one, uh, the first killer on the Murder Mondays. Um, I'm going to be doing some regular slots. These aren't going to be any way related to uh, the Killer in My Mind books. If you look on uh, my Substack profile, you'll see John Wayne Gacy. And next month, we're going to be launching or publishing Albert Fish. Can't remember who we're publishing in month three, but go and check them out because they're free downloads for you guys. But what we're going to be looking at on Murder Mondays, we'll be looking at both ends of the spectrum from the sublime to the ridiculous in terms of crimes come check us out every monday uh, here on murder monday and then on wednesday is workshop wednesday which looks at it looks at therapy that i've received child abuse victim and processing which i've gone through in order to sort of gain my life back if you like and then on friday we're focusing on friction friday so keep an eye out in your inbox keep regular download the app as well on if you go to your app store or whatever they call that on android download substack and then like, uh, create your profile and hit the subscribe button and then you'll be notified as soon as I publish on own. Um, other than that, have a great week.